note to all the investors in the audience. Do you wish you were in early on some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat, eating some of their stuff, it's good, or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Now, for instance, today, you can join our crowd's investment in Cyabra, an AI-enabled platform that uncovers online disinformation and deepfakes. As disinformation becomes increasingly threatening to global brands, media, and governments, Cyabra reports that it's uniquely positioned to serve this potential $6.1 billion market. And you can get in early on Cyabra and other unique opportunities at ourcrowd.com slash velonews. If you're interested in investing, you need to join Our Crowd. The Our Crowd account is free. Just go to Our Crowd. That is O U R C R O W D dot com slash Velodus. Thanks to Our Crowd for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Let's get on with the show. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back to the Velonews podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on a cold and blustery Tuesday here in Boulder, Colorado. I just went and rode outdoors and I did that thing where it's like really windy. So it's like, hey, I'm going to go steal some Strava KOMs. Ha, 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 ha. And I missed it by one second. And now I'm coughing and hacking and I'm really cold and I, I don't didn't even get the payoff. Um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, great episode coming up today. Um, we're getting into all of the details around the upcoming esports World Championships. That's right, Zwift Worlds, which is coming up on December 9th. Um, second half of the show, I'm talking with Dr. George Gilbert. Uh, Dr. George Gilbert works with Zwift to oversee the data verification process. He was uh, involved in the recent sanctions that we talked about last week uh, on the episode about um, yeah how Zwift goes about policing riders for uh, data manipulation. And George has some great insight into the types of um, nefarious or otherwise, um, oh, just, you know, the ways in which they're verifying results and also uh, looking at results and saying, eh, that one's not good. And, and George talks to us about the two cases that we talked about last week and really explains in layman's terms why those results did not stand. I appreciate George. That was my challenge to him was like, okay, explain this like you're explaining it to a 12 year old because that's kind of who I am when it comes to this stuff. And uh, George does a very good job on that. Um, before we get to George, though, I have the wonderful Christabel Doble Hickok of Rally Cycling. She's joining me to take me through some of the basics of esports worlds. She is on the US team representing the country in uh, Zwift Worlds coming up. And uh, we're going to get into, you know, sort of like a one-on-one, -on -one, like Zwift World's one-on-one, -on -one, um, so that all of you out there in podcast land can follow along. Again, it's coming up September 9th. We're about a week away, and uh, you can watch this thing online on Facebook. I believe it's streaming perhaps on YouTube, too. I'll have the full details of that at the end of the podcast. Um, so without further ado, Christabel Doble-Hickok. Rally Cycling, you are joining us, I would assume, from your home in Southern California, where it's probably not blustery and cold and windy out. Uh, am I correct in that assumption? 
Well, I started my training this morning at 6, 12 a.m., I think. So it was a little chilly, but um, no, it's like 70 degrees and sunny and I really can't complain. But when it's really cold and I ride and I get that cough, I'm always like, oh, no, do I have COVID? Do I have COVID? Because, yeah, it's pretty bad around here with that situation. But uh, that's the world we live in right now. So I'm kind of thankful to have the, the virtual racing to do that. Yeah works in our new brave world we have hey you ever do that thing where it's windy out and you start uh chasing some strava koms depending on which direction the uh, wind is blowing just uh you know just just curious on my end you know i have i have a strava account i have two rides from a uh, phil guyman's uh cookie fondo on there those are you know i feel like that's like a place of honor for his rides because they're the only things i've uploaded to it i had strava when i first started riding and now i you know i really I can't get myself into it, which always shocks people because I love data and, you know, chasing times. And But it's really I like chasing powers and uh, watts per kilos. And I'm not so into the times because things like the weight of your bike and, yeah, the conditions, it all affects it. And I care about, like, my ability to perform, not the conditions. So that's what kills it for me. Well, so, Christabel, we're uh, about a week out from the esports world championships you are one of the uh riders on team usa looks like there are one two three four five six seven eight nine riders on team usa you're one of the more yeah uh experienced riders that's very uh exciting to see um let's get into some of the basics about this race so i have my cheat sheet right here bringing it up um first question for you i mean What's the format? Is this a points race? Is this a traditional scratch race? First rider across the line wins. What's the racing format? Yeah, first rider across the line wins. Um, to my understanding, there are not any like sprint points or QM points. It's, yeah, everybody wants to be first across the line um, the final time up the climb. And it is exactly 50.035 kilometers. I have not seen such a precise race distance in my uh, real world racing, but yeah, I've just told myself it's 50 kilometers. Um, but you do want to know where the line is. I've had on some virtual races, not so much on Swift, but some where there's the race distance and there's like where the actual banner is and your result is where the banner is. So you, you got to like look at the screen and see where the finish line is. This is important, but um yeah, it's a punchy course. It's, I mean, when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, cool, it's a summit finish. It's not, it's not, no. Like, it's a minute, minute and a half climb to the finish, which in that case, I don't call it a climb. It's like a sprint. It's a, maybe you could call it a power climb, but I don't think that you're going to see what are considered climbers um, first across the line. Yeah, and your estimation, like, who do you think, what type of rider do you think, in your estimation, this course really suits? You know, I think I honestly like would put my money on one of the indoor specialists because I think being such a punchy, somewhat tactical course, I think really understanding the platform and how to use the draft and exactly where to use your power-ups, I think, is going to be really critical. Um, so... So I don't know. There's a lot of riders that I know from real world racing. That I'm like, wow, if you just look at their watts per kilo, like why don't they just ride away? And I mean, I think there's such large prize money at hand that, I mean, by women's cycling standards, it's quite large prize money at hand that I think some of them could be motivated to like take it seriously. While maybe we saw them like struggle in some of the virtual races earlier this year. I don't think that means that we should 
discount their ability for these races. Um, but I think it's a really hard race to call because you have such a mixture of indoor specialists who really know how to use their power at the right moments in the right way on Zwift. And then, I mean, you have Van Vluten, Van der Bregen, and I mean, you have like racers that if we had this course in the real world, I mean, you would think that they would just ride away from people. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I wouldn't call a winner. I do know we have nine women, like you said, on Team USA, and there's 55 starters. So we have numbers. So I would like to say a Team USA rider is going to be a first across the line. And we're still working on our plan for that. But I think we have like some really good finishers for this course. And I think we have a lot of options. So that bodes well for us. Um, but yeah, I think virtual racing can be even more difficult to predict a winner than real world racing, which I think is a little strange because you think, well, there's not crashes or mechanicals or like all this unknown to account for. But yeah, I think it will be a very exciting race because it is so open. And I don't think that there's somebody that just everyone's expecting to win. You mentioned this beforehand, but from a um, gamification perspective, they are allowing the power up. So, um, and this was my big question was like, okay, this is certified by the UCI, but it's still Swift. So they're allowing these power ups. Um, what can you say about how often you get these, how often you will get these on the course? Uh, you know, this 50 point, whatever K race, how many times will you be given new power ups and where, where do you expect to see riders use them? Yeah, this was my golden question for our team meeting last night. Like, because normally in Zwift races, once I get the power up that I want for the finish, I just hang on to it for the whole race. Cause it's like, it's a great feeling knowing you have that power up that you want. And once you have it, you aren't going to lose it unless you use it. Um, I like that thing. Um, anyways, if you don't have the one you want, you need to use it to get another one, hopefully the one you want. This one's interesting because I've heard that we have six opportunities to get them, but it says that we get them, um, at the arches. So we're like, we figured out where five would be, but we're trying to figure out where the six would be. Anyways, we'll get confirmation of exactly where we're getting them. Um, for this race, they're telling us it's, there's only two power-ups available, the arrow and the lightweight. And those both last 15 seconds. And the arrow obviously makes you more aerodynamic and the lightweight reduces your weight by 10% for 15 seconds. Um, so timing those is pretty critical. And they're telling us it's, according to the tech guide, it's a 50-50 probability of which one you get, which um, I assume means that we will get one every time we cross the banner because some Zwift races... I thought that sometimes you had the possibility of getting nothing, which is probably another reason that once I got the one I wanted, I just hang on to it. Cause yeah, it's just a great feeling when you have like your little featherweight power up and <laughs> you're staring at it on your screen the whole time. Well, that's good to know. I didn't, I did not know. I, I thought that all six power ups were available based on the uh, antiquated cheat sheet that I have, but apparently uh, that's, that's not the case. It's only going to be arrow and lightweight. What can you say about those two? different power-ups and the advantages they give you. I think that, like I was saying, yes, it's a climb to the finish, but it's really going to be, I think, like a power rider or what we would consider more of a sprinter that wins, in which case I do think that the aero helmet could be the preferable one, but 
I don't know. I think I'll probably still pray to the Zwift gods for a featherweight because I very much like using the featherweight. I feel like this is where I'm effective is on the climb. Like, let's be honest here. I'm not going to be our sprinter. Like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm a featherweight rider. So I think that it depends on what type of rider you are and what role you have on the team. I don't think that like every rider is going to be hoping and using a featherweight at the finish, but I don't think every rider is going to be hoping for and using a uh, arrow helmet at the finish. So I think it depends on what your goals are for the race. Um, but I do think that my guess would be that you'll see a whole bunch of arrow helmets light up at the finish line or, you know, 10, 15 seconds from it. And I do think that, yeah, the winner will have used one, in which case, if you're looking to win this race, you better save one for the finish. I mean, a 50, 50 ratio and getting one, at every arch you're going to get one eventually. So I don't see any reason that you would be in such a, the person that's going to win, I don't think they're ever going to be in so much trouble during the race that they feel as though they have to use their arrow helmet to save them. I mean, I feel like they'll all have it for the finish. So in that way, I think it's kind of a nice, like I maybe would have wished there weren't, you know, uh, power-ups available just because, yeah, I prefer just to keep things simple. But I think it kind of levels it out when there's only two available and we're getting so many of them. It's kind of like, well, everyone that wants to use a certain one is going to have opportunity to do so. So it takes some of the luck out, I think. So maybe it's a nice balance, nice compromise. Now, how does this, you know, 50 kilometer length uh, course compare to the other courses you've faced in, you know, uh, pro Zwift racing and stuff like Tour for All and Tour de France? Um is 50k is that kind of on par with where you guys have been at or is this longer it's slightly longer but it's it to me it's not significantly longer it's not like we're gonna be on our trainers for three hours it's not trying to simulate a real world road race um i've said a lot of best hour powers doing the swift races they seem to be about an hour in length this one yeah okay maybe we're looking at more like 75 80 minutes something like that but i think it's not drastically different i do think that there are some people that maybe we think, okay, they have really good power at the end, but they are going to be fatigued by then because it's it's going to be full gas from the start. I mean, all of the races are, right? So you're looking at who can produce really outstanding finishing power after basically doing, for me, they feel like an hour time trial. I mean, I guess I haven't quite figured out all the ins and outs of the drafting and I don't know. To me, you're riding hard for an hour and then you're sprinting and you're sprinting on a trainer. Like, let me tell you, I don't have a good sprint, but it's better on the road than it is on my trainer. Like, it's it's difficult because uh, I haven't gotten my new uh, TAC-X trainer. I hear they have more movement to them. Um, but the trainers I've raced on, they don't, you don't, the bike doesn't move under you. And like, you know, sprinting with like just this thing under you is a unique experience. So yeah, I think it's, it's that's another reason it's so difficult to predict who's going to win is it's like okay Kristen Wheeled can can sprint yes of course like if we were choosing somebody to win a sprint finish we're going to choose her but it's a trainer race and it's after like basically a 70 minute time trial and then she's got to use the power up I mean there's so many variables that are like you know it's not just a sprint it's it's a sprint after a time trial with your helmet on hopefully so 
Yeah, I don't know. It's a whole nother world. Well, then the 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 million dollar question for you, Christabel, is you know you don't. I'm not going to ask you to pick a winner, but how do you see this race playing out? Do you think this is going to be a race of attrition with a small group? Do you see it a tactical race where riders are going off the front and then the group is slowing down and people are deciding whether or not to chase. Like, how do you see this thing? It's 50 kilometers. There's women who are very strong, but probably some of them who haven't, you know, don't have a ton of experience with Zwift racing. How do you see this thing playing out? Okay. So first, like five minutes, not even five minutes, first minute, somebody's just like, no, more than somebody. Some people are just going to go off the back because they haven't done much Zwift racing and they don't understand. And but I honestly think we're all riding under our federations. I mean, there's some wild cards, but I honestly feel like everyone knows it's a hard start. Like, you know, the things that catch people off guard, like six months ago or whatever, probably are not going to be so much of an issue here. Like, it's not such a novel concept now. Um, but I do think like in the first few minutes, there's going to be some riders dropped. And after, I mean, usually these, these Zwift races are like really, really hard for at least 10 minutes. You'll have some that just, you know, they don't have the form right now or whatever. I think it will be a race of attrition, but I don't think it's going to be a small, small group early in the race. Like I think you're going to drop, I mean, it's a small field to begin with 55 starters, but I think you could see 15, 20 dropped halfway through. Maybe even the first time up the climb that's 2.4 K you'll see some drop off. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be a race of attrition. And then I do think that, in the last quarter of the race, the last maybe 20 minutes or so, then you're going to see a lot of team tactics. And I can't give away our team strategy because we actually haven't finalized it. So that's like perfect. I don't have to worry about that. Um, but yeah, I think that the USA having nine riders like puts us in a really good position. Um, but I do think it will come down to a small group at the finish. How small? I mean, whether it's going to be 25 or 30 riders left or you know 8 to 12 riders I don't know I think it could go either way but I don't think you're gonna see somebody go off the front so let's finish although I mean again probably do it if she really wanted to but yeah um I think it'll be a race of attrition and then a power rider will win not a pure sprinter unless there's like a really really swift savvy pure sprinter that's a thing you don't know because there's all these indoor specialists that like Maybe a lot of people haven't even heard of, but they have like really good power and they know how to produce it. So I think there's a lot of factors that maybe go overlooked that could make, make for a surprise winner, which I think is kind of cool. And I think it's special because it's like the first world championships. Now, uh, Christabel, I am thumbing through this cheat sheet here and I, I come to this page on rider eligibility. And there are some very interesting rules. First round anti-doping compliance in order to be eligible. All riders must be in their UCI registered testing pool or national registered testing pool. So basically, you know, you have to be a legit um, elite rider who is who is submitting to anti-doping. And then number two, Zwift experience. Athletes must be set up on Zwift and have progressed to at least a level five in the game. You must be a level five, level five thetan um, to be uh, eligible. And preferably athletes will have also taken part in Zwift's major broadcast events. This will ensure familiarity. Um, boy, when I look at that uh, that start list, I mean, I see a lot of really flashy all-star names. But like you said, some of these 
um, stars of Women's World Tour Racing, I don't know if they are level five Zwift Thetans or if they uh, took part in Zwift's major broadcast events. Um, to me, it's like it's going to be really interesting because you're going to have some really strong you know, outdoor road racing cyclists going up against – um, like you said, indoor specialists, and then riders like yourself who have one foot in one world and one foot in the other world, kind of straddling the same. I, I'm really interested to see how this plays out. We've been re- we've been reporting on Zwift racing all year long and the rise of Zwift prof- professional Zwift racing, and and I've loved to watch the events and sort of play that guessing game too of like who's going to be who's going to have the advantage. You know, the gameplay person who's a real expert at at Zwift gameplay, or the pro who has all the watts. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was pretty funny when they, um, funny isn't the word, but when they put out these stipulations, all these indoor specialists got put on the USADA anti-doping list. And, you know, I think probably most of them like didn't think a whole lot of it. USADA came to my house, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks ago. And I joked, I was like, yeah, they're probably coming, you know, test me for esports world championship. And then one of um, the girls on team USA that, um, that will, you know, just got added to the testing pool. She's like, Oh my God, they showed up at my house. Like, I was shocked. I was like, Yeah, that's what they do. But I mean, I guess I didn't actually expect them to. And so, yeah, they're all in the USADA testing pool now and they're getting tested. And I think it's really like kudos to Zwift and the UCI for like, if you're going to do this, do it right and make it as legitimate as possible. And so I think like the most important thing was leveling the power meter status like everyone's on the same trainer i think that's really good um and like yeah they've got their way in procedure like i think within 24 hours of the race we have to submit a video and like people are like yeah yeah but i'm like it's like a 12-step process like all the virtual races use it now and you weigh yourself and then a weight and the weight alone and then you weigh the weight i mean i have to have like the list up while i do it so that i can keep track of where i am in the thing so i think like when people first started doing virtual races, there was a lot of questions about like how they regulate all that. And I think they've really got it down and to get to level five and Zwift, like, I really don't think it's like too many rides, like probably between setting up their trainer and some rainy days, they can progress to level five. Like that's not a big ask, but yeah, I think the diversity of this field will make for like a really dynamic race and unpredictable one. And I'm sure there will be like excellent coverage, which has been even for like the virtual tour de France, like it was amazing how many people messaged me like, Oh my God, that was so fun to watch. Like I didn't get those kind of messages after a real world race. So it's, that's been like a really cool aspect of virtual racing. And I think it's had a really powerful impact. Um, especially like with COVID right now, like, yeah, a lot of people I think have been like inspired to like get more active and motivated to, I know trainers are like sold out everywhere. Um, but yeah, I think it's good that they took it seriously and, and some regulations to make this a really good event. Well, it is the UCI Cycling Esports World Championships coming up September 9th. Um, you can stream it on Facebook. I'll put some links in the body copy of the podcast notes today. Um, and Christabel Doble Hickok will be representing the USA uh in the in zwift worlds or the esports world championships uh christabel thank you so much for coming on the podcast for this very informative explainer on what we can expect in this race and uh, i'm with you i think that uh you know the battle between road pros 
and Zwift specialists and everyone in between, I think it's going to make for a very dynamic race. Yep. Thanks for having me. Okay. Up next is Dr. George Gilbert, who's going to talk to us all about policing these elite Zwift races. You heard me talk about it at the top of the show. In today's market, most of us don't have access to invest early in the private companies that create big returns. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. With our crowd, you get access to invest early in highly vetted deals on pre-IPO companies alongside professional venture capitalists. Companies like Cyabra, the AI-enabled platform that uncovers disinformation online, you can get in early on Cyabra and other opportunities at OurCrowd.com slash VeloNews. Your OurCrowd account is free. Just go to OurCrowd, O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D dot com slash VeloNews. Okay, let's get back to the show. My guest on the VeloNews podcast today is Dr. George Gilbert. George is the chairman of Zwift Cycling Esports Commission. He's also a guy who has helped Zwift draft the rules for esports racing. Uh, he has a 25-year-old history in sports governance, worked with British Cycling and anti-doping, and has a PhD in data analysis. George, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. You know, George... I wanted to have you on the podcast this week for a couple different reasons. The first is that we have the upcoming UCI World Championships, World Esports Championships held on Zwift. Uh, the second is we had a story about two weeks ago involving two riders who were sanctioned, two elite racers who were sanctioned by Zwift um, for what appeared to be data manipulation. And I wanted to touch on that story first because um, that story just generated a ton of interest with our readers. And I'm curious, here's my challenge to you, George. Uh, if you could explain the recent sanctions in the simplest way possible, as if you were speaking to, oh, I'd say like an 11-year-old child, because when it comes to knowledge around uh, Zwift sanctionings, that's kind of who I am. So imagine you're speaking to a child and uh, the floor is yours. Awesome opening question. Thank you. Um, I th I I guess the, the closest analogy here is around kind of uh, getting quotes from a builder. And everybody knows that you should always get multiple quotes. If, if you just had one, then you have no idea whether the price is fair or not. Yeah. So you ask multiple sources, you get different numbers, and you try to judge what's reasonable. And it's the same with Zwift. If, if you tell me you are doing 400 watts, how on earth do I know that that's right or not? So instead of getting multiple quotes, we take multiple measurements of your power. You know, we measure it via the trainer, we measure it via the power meter, and we also look at things like um, real-life Strava data, your race results. And if all of those things are telling us roughly the same thing, then that builds confidence that, you know, that's probably a good good set of data. And with the building, you know, maybe if you get lots of quotes at roughly the same price, then probably that's a fair price. And it's it's about confidence. It's about um, 
it doesn't have to be exactly the same data each time, but you're looking to build up a picture, a body of evidence that suggests that what you're seeing, what you're being told is fair. So to actually answer your question, I mean, if you look at these recent cases where, where Zwift have banned riders, by analogy, uh, we've got quotes from, from two different builders and you look at one of the quotes and it says that the job will be five grand but that number's been crossed out and it says, no, it's actually 40 grand. And you, at which point you think, really? <laughs> um, you know, there's no way that you would uh, believe that that quote where it says five grand has been crossed out and written that it's actually they're going to charge you 40. And you chuck those builders out. You wouldn't order from those, uh, th those um, builders again. And that's basically what's happened here. You hit the nail on the head to use another building analogy. Thank you, George. <laughs> I, it, it, was, it was funny. I had my questions with Ben. You know, I was like, hey, how would you sort of simplify this? And he replayed the story of, you know, well, there was a file that was incomplete and it was bought and it was given and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I could kind of see it, but somewhere lost in there, there's a lot of um, – there's some jargon and then there's also some um, – there's just enough – back and forth and requiring of multiple files, multiple quotes, like you said, that for a layman like myself, it can be hard to follow. And I think this is really important because when it's hard to follow for the layman, the reasons for a sanction, it's very easy for the proverbial contractor trying to get you on 40 grand here to give an explanation that sort of muddies the water. And as we've seen in anti-doping, especially in the early age of, you know, EPO test and, you know, tests around blood transfusions and stuff like that, when the science was very difficult to explain or very difficult for the layman to understand, it made it very easy to sort of poke holes in it and say, ah, well, you know, this process, no one really understands it. So I can just say, well, you know, X, Y, and Z, and a, a certain percentage of people are going to, to believe my explanation. Yeah, absolutely. And to a large extent, it doesn't actually matter how these files have been changed. The fact is that you just don't edit the files. <laughs> that should be obvious. I think the other interesting thing here is that these two cases have opened my eyes to the potential for data manipulation as it pertains to Zwift results. Throughout the year, I've been reporting on Zwift and about, you know... Um, how there have been some results that have been overturned because the hardware was wrong, you know, there was bad readings from power meters, or the potential for people like lying about their weight. You know, there's always these uh, tales out there. Of, well, the person I'm going up against, they say that they weigh 150 pounds, but they probably weigh 200 pounds. And that's the way of cheating. But this of actually manipulating the data, writing um I, you know, when, when did data manipulation first come onto your radar screen as a potential way to influence these results? And how did you respond to that? Uh, so uh, right from the very start is, I, is when we first started realizing that this was a, uh, a potential way in which people can cheat. I mean, obviously, if you've got a sport where uh, the riders are remote and they are just sending you their data, they could be sending you anything. So as as with kind of any project, you, you start off, you do a whole bunch of risk analysis, you look and you try and understand how can we make this a secure environment? How can we understand uh, that what information we're getting back is reasonable and valid? Um, and you build all these things in from the start. 
So it's it's not a question of kind of running for a bit and then going, oh, suddenly we, we better do these checks or suddenly realizing that a file might might come in uh, that's being doctored. Um, but right from the very start, understanding that this is how the, the kind of the systems and the processes that you've got to have in place in order to have uh, a result which people can believe in. What does the data manipulation look like? I mean, are people like opening up these files and looking at the code and then adjusting it that way? I mean, I guess as the layman, I don't even understand how you would go about adjusting or manipulating data. Uh, it's it it varies. I it's not hard to do. Uh, fortunately, it's very easy to spot. <laughs> um, but Swift writes files out as a, a plain text file. You can open it up in in Notepad and go look at it. Mm -hmm. So you know it's it's not difficult to do. Um, but uh, as I said, uh, fortunately we have lots of systems uh, that can detect that editing. One of the big stories in 2020 that we reported on was Zwift's uh, the growth of Zwift um, of, of elite racing around Zwift with the racing shutdown. Uh, you know, there there was the Zwift Classics, then there was the Tour for All, then the Zwift Tour de France, and more and more elite riders started riding. There were prize purses. You know, I, I feel like Zw elite Zwift racing made like a five-year advance this year because of the in real life shutdown. I'm curious from your perspective, how did um, the the process that Zwift uses to certify results change throughout the year. You know, you have all this new attention focusing on the platform. You have new riders and you have increased stakes around some of these elite races. Like how did the process then change as the year went along? Yeah, so for, for obvious reasons, I'm, I'm not going to go into too much detail about exactly what we do. Um, but as I said before, it's, it's about building that confidence, building up a picture uh, no, no one data source is king, but looking at previous rides from Strava, real life, Palmares, um, previous Swift races, uh, multiple data sources and so on. And it's a combination of automated analysis, manual checks, cross checks. Um, Z Zada are, uh, are an amazing team. I mean, we've got real data analysis experts there. People with master's degrees in physiology, human kinetics, engineering, physics, computer science, coaches, uh, former pro cyclists, software developers. And, and they, they spend their time looking for patterns in the data, trying to really understand what actually happened. And over the year, we, we've really stepped up that process, uh, increased uh, the amount of automation, um, that means that we can check far more people far quicker than before, um, develop new tools and processes for spotting when things have gone wrong, uh, and in general, just increase the level of professionalism in, in the service uh, we provide. And one of the really telling things, I think, is uh, the responses we get back from the riders. Um, so, for example, when, when we annul the result of a rider, uh, about 50% of them write back and say thank you. And can you imagine that in real life? People going up to a commissaire and saying thank you for removing me uh, from the results of this race. Um, but, but what's happening here is the riders are telling us that they appreciate that somebody is watching over the system. They appreciate that when they don't follow the rules, that somebody is picking up on that. And um, we've had loads of people saying that they feel reassured 
as that it gives them confidence in the integrity of our process and the integrity of the results, that even their minor uh, transgressions of the rules are being discovered. One of the stories I reported on involved um, two specific annulments and how um, both the writers in question, they, they kind of felt let down by the process of annulment. Not necessarily that they didn't feel like it was very transparent, but the, the process involved them trying to hit similar, you know, kind of similar power numbers uh, during a training session or required them to do training session work and then submit power files from sort of rides on the road to compare them to what they'd hit in Zwift. And their argument was, well, you know, when I'm doing racing in Zwift, it's a controlled environment. Um, I'm not having to deal with undulations in the road or cars or whatever. And I can focus entirely on, you know, putting power into the pedals. And they felt like they were able to achieve, to actually be better in Zwift riding than they were in outdoor riding. Um, and they also felt like the process, you know, anytime there's a result gets taken away or there's a perception of cheating in cycling, there's going to be a reaction from the wider cycling community. And, and one of these gals talked about, you know, people getting on her Strava and leaving nasty comments and stuff like that. And even though it was, you know, she, she acknowledged, well, this probably was, you know, uh, hardware I was using was faulty and gave a bad reading. Um, it, it kind of didn't shield her from some of the negative response there. And I'm curious if that's something that's on your radar going forward, both, you know, the, the potential that riders can hit levels during Zwift gameplay that are higher than they can hit out on the road. And also the process of like trying to, I guess, dull the disappointment or get across to the wider public that, you know, annulments happen. And it doesn't mean that the person in question is like, uh, you know, sitting in a chair with like tubes coming out of them uh, yes very, very much so um so uh, two parts to that question um uh, in terms of the difference in performance indoors and outdoors then yes absolutely we're, we're well aware of that um it, it's not all plain sailing indoors uh, you've obviously got heat management uh, people get a lot hotter and their performance actually deteriorates indoors compared to uh, outdoors because of um, their, their body heat just uh, rising without the volume of air <laughs> flowing over them compared to riding outside. Um, but we absolutely take that into account. Um, as, as I said, we're, we are not looking for your outdoor data to be exactly the same as your indoor data. They are different. That's fine. That's normal. It's entirely expected. But what we're looking for is a pattern of data, a body of evidence across multiple sources, uh, which allows us to uh, uh, verify that. Um, in terms of the, the second part of your question uh, around um, uh, annulments, um, then absolutely, I, I agree entirely with you. The, but it's really important to make a distinction between an annulment and a disqualification. Um, an annulment is, is almost like a, a, a no fault uh, position or a no blame position at any rate. So, you know, maybe something completely accidental went wrong. Maybe your heart rate monitor slipped. Maybe your power meter uh, battery ran out or, you know, stuff happens. Life happens. And when those things happen and it means that we don't have enough data to be able to verify your result, then that's fine. It's not a problem. We don't attach any kind of particular blame to it. But because we can't um, uh, verify your result, 
then that just means that we don't include you in that result in that one race. It's just one race, nothing more. Uh, and next race, welcome back with open arms. Fantastic. That, however, is a totally materially different case to somebody who goes and edits their data file and submits false data to Zwift. <laughs> That's a disqualification. Totally different kettle of fish. And I think this is really fascinating and really interesting within the entire history of sports governance because you know I, I take tell anyone who's willing to listen about this like Zwift has created a new category of sanction which is the no fault. I mean if you look at any other sport out there it's either you followed the rule your result stands or you didn't follow the rule your result doesn't stand and you are punished and now this is a third category which is hey you followed the rules something went wrong we're going to take your result away but there's no punishment because you know this is the reality of the technology that we're using right now there's going to be some instances where something like this happens and i think that's where i see a chasm in the understanding of like regular cycling fans who are used to the binary, you know, hey, it's all good or like, woo, it's really bad. And, you know, the added, the addition of a third category, which is like something went wrong. The result is being annulled. But the person in question is not like, you know, yeah, you're not editing the file. You're not the proverbial like going to the gynecologist office in Spain and having tubes hooked up to you so you can have other people's blood <laughs> piped in. It's like, it, you know, when you think about it and boil it down, it's interesting. It's like, wow, you know, esports racing and Zwift, they created this third category of sports governance, which, you know, I think is interesting. It just may take time, people a little while to, uh, to, to adapt to it. Yeah, very much so. And it's, it's important as well to realize that when we are verifying rides, we are verifying the ride. We are not verifying the rider. So we look at a particular performance in a particular race. And if we look at that performance and go, we just don't have enough data to be sure. Going back to the builder again, if you've only got one quote, then who knows whether it's accurate or not. Um, and in that case, what we are saying is that that one ride we don't have confidence in to be able to include it in the in the result. But we're not commenting at all about the rider or, or their equipment or anything else. It's just that that one ride we can't verify. And again, that, that is materially different uh, to the case of, uh, of deliberate cheating, where we're saying, look, this one rider we can't trust because they're giving us false information. So Zwift, uh, there is the UCI World Championships coming up 10 days time from when we're doing this recording. Um, Zwift, your CEO, Eric Min, has said he has long-term ambitions of being in the Olympics. You know, professional standardized e-racing is a short and long-term goal of the company. When you look at that goal in total, how important are things like you know, protecting the rules. How important is your job and the job that your team is doing right now in Zwift achieving these medium and long-term goals? Yeah, at, at the very highest level, obviously, fair play and, and good government, good governance is is vital to the integrity of all sport, and and Zwift is no different in that case. Um, having that transparency and confidence in the result is is essential to any kind of sustainable, robust competition. Um, 
Zwift here is is defining a whole new branch of the sport of cycling. It's it's a different physiological demands from road, from track, mountain bike, cross, BMX, or or anything else. We we lead the field here, define the field even in in physical esports, and and we take that responsibility very seriously. And it's also important to be clear about the the scale of this. We've verified several thousand rides now. And there are only two cases of outright data manipulation and only a uh, hundred cases of, of unintentional issues. Um, as our processes improve, th those numbers will go up, um, but it's only a few percent. And the vast majority of riders uh, are playing by the rules and will never hear from us. Um, in, in terms of that point about the, the importance of, of kind of uh, data manipulation, I guess, and the, um, uh, the importance of the integrity of those results. As, as I said before, data is all we have. The, this sport is governed by the, the power numbers that are sent back from riders to Zwift, and, and that's it. If those numbers aren't accurate, it undermines the entire sport. And so you know, it's incumbent on us to have the right systems and processes uh, to validate that data. You know, data manipulation isn't the real life equivalent of your sock length being too high or or having a sticky bottle. You know, it's the equivalent of getting off your bike and catching the train to the finish line. It's it's not something you can accidentally do. It's, uh, you know, changing data is a deliberate act to falsify your performance. Um, you know, riders want us to and expect us to come down on that like a ton of bricks. And the tiny percentage of riders who choose to cheat, yeah, we will. Do you see this as a situation similar to real life cycling, where the cops, you know, the, the robbers are always going to be changing their method, and the cops thus are always going to have to be changing their methods? Or is data manipulation at this point sort of a one or two ways to do it, and you guys have your eyes out for it? Or, or do you see this as something that's going to evolve? Oh, it will definitely evolve. Yes, I mean, uh, as you say, the the analogy with with anti-doping is is probably the closest one here. And again, for for obvious reasons, I, I won't go into too much detail about what our full capabilities of detecting this uh, actually are. Um, but yeah, uh, our, our our systems are, are evolving all the time. I'm sure people will come up with new ways of cheating, and I'm sure we will. Uh, find ways to, to detect that. Well, it's going to be an interesting story to keep going forward. Again, we have the UCI World uh, E-Racing Championships coming up on Zwift in uh, 10 days' time. And um, Dr. George Gilbert, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I will for, for always, I will always now forever remember the um, contractor submitting a terrible bid as the, uh, the go-to analogy for data manipulation. Excellent. Thank you.